This episode is brought to you by Eagle Masonry and Insulation, North Alabama's premier masonry and insulation provider. You brick and insulate your house at the same time, so why not use a contractor that can accomplish these two tasks and reduce your time spent scheduling, paying, and managing trades? Eagle offers the following masonry services, block, brick, stone, outdoor living, and pavers, as well as state-of-the-art insulation services from traditional fiberglass bats to blown-in blanket systems and spray foam. Eagle will provide these services turnkey, which means they will provide all the materials and labor, thereby eliminating your risk of breakage and theft. Call 256-755-1556 today for your free quote. Do you want a lawn that is healthy, looks good, and is environmentally friendly? Then try EnviroGreen. EnviroGreen is a locally owned and operated landscaping service that seeks to provide all of these things with professional touch. All of EnviroGreen's technicians are highly trained, and every client receives a unique program specially tailored to what they want out of their grass, trees, and shrubs. EnviroGreen's products are bio-based, environmentally conscious, and packed with nutrients that promote healthy growth and eradicate weeds. Call 334 319-7603 or visit envirogreen.com to learn more about envirogreen's programs and services envirogreen where the grass is always greener studio now in uh, relocating to Huntsville Alabama I'm kidding guys it's it's a basement um, but it is nice I mean it, it keeps the audio in on anyway I've come back with like I said a couple of weeks ago with a new co-host she's been here before she's a friend of the program she's helped me out and I'm really excited to continue this podcast for the next several weeks with uh, her being my co-host so Abigail say hey hi that's Abigail and she is about to attend Western Kentucky University and major in broadcasting. Writers are a specific time for it because, like, mine's sports communication. But broadcast it, journalism. It is broadcast journalism. All right, yeah, on a on a scholarship, uh, athletic scholarship, no less. So, yeah, I mean, let's go ahead and just well, actually, before we jump in right into it, I just want to say, uh, Rookie Mistake is on Twitter. You can follow the show's account at Rookie Mistake PC to get all your information about the show there, including show updates questions mailbags cool stuff like that and you can always of course comment on our posts and give us ideas we love hearing from people who are listening about ideas and just or, or just fans opinions on stuff so you can do that there or you can subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to it from from spotify or apple music uh, google podcasts uh, breaker stitcher anything that you're listening because this podcast is out on just about every platform that you could possibly listen from, so you can subscribe there, and then you get the updates there whenever there's a new episode. All right, so now we'll go ahead and jump in. I just want to open the program here, and Abigail knows I want to do this. I just want to talk for a couple of minutes about Colt Brennan. I guess I can tell you about him too, Abigail, here, because, I mean, I get I get some flack in the radio business for being too young to remember a lot of guys. I remember this guy, and you're actually younger than me, so you definitely don't. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I was... You know, this total super fan of this guy, Colt Brennan, the former Hawaii quarterback around the time that Tim Tebow was at Florida. He passed away this week for honest, honestly reasons I can't quite pin down. There's a lot of conflicting reports there. But he was 37 years old. 
And like I said, I'm not going to say that I was a huge super fan of him or anything like that, but I knew who he was. And like a lot of people, he's just about the only reason that I even knew Hawaii had a football program. And Colt Brennan was Jesus to the University of Hawaii. They're on the map because he played there. He had three incredible seasons there after, I believe, transferring away from Colorado or something like that, where he went immediately after uh, high school. And in 2007, he finished third in the Heisman Trophy voting. Of course, you know, Tim Tebow won that year. I don't think anybody was going to win over Tim Tebow. But I wanted to talk about him because for all of those reasons and just because it's a really sad story, I was really surprised to see the news Tuesday morning and that he has struggled with a lot of things that I wasn't aware of. He struggled a lot with alcohol and the law. Uh, after football in 2020, he had two separate arrests and he was trying to get into rehab this year. And like I said, a lot of conflicting reports there, but I don't want to spend too much time on that because it's a sports podcast and I don't want to bring anybody down. He had, like I said, he had an amazing career at Hawaii. He broke or tied 31 NCAA records at the time in his three seasons at Hawaii. In his 2006 season, which was his junior year of eligibility, he threw 58 touchdowns in 14 games. So statistically, at least, he was on Joe Burrow's level before Joe Burrow was anywhere near college football. He threw, you know, he actually, that would give him a higher average as far as passing touchdowns per game, 58 and 14 as opposed to 60 and 15 games and obviously of course he didn't play the caliber of competition that Joe Burrow did at Hawaii but for just from a raw numbers standpoint I I think that's important to focus on but yeah Colt Brennan uh, passed away this week Uh, a Hawaii legend saw a lot of outpouring of support from the program and fans and media members in general who knew who he was and remembered his time at Hawaii which will live on forever I think so yeah with that uh, obituary out of the way thing. Go ahead and maybe give Abigail a few minutes to actually talk here. Uh, I want to talk about probably the next biggest story this week is probably Henry Toto transferring to Alabama. So Abigail, you know more about Alabama's football program than I do, both by choice and just by virtue, I guess. So go ahead and break this down for me. All right. Well, thank you, Jackson. Um, Like he said, I'm super excited to be here um, and just help him out this summer before we both go back to school. But yes, Henry Toe transferring to Alabama, um, linebacker from Tennessee. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, when he first came, was super excited about him. I believe he said that he could start at Alabama while he was still playing for Tennessee. So we are going to see. Yeah, he did. He did say that. There was a quote that he said in his his Toe's freshman season that he could have started at Alabama that season if he wanted to well we're gonna we're gonna see this year um you know he's actually the second Alabama commit this week uh with the new NCAA uh transfer rule being approved um with Ohio State's wide receiver Jamison Williams so I think that's those are two huge guys coming in uh Toto was a freshman with All-American honors in 2019 as a sophomore he led the Vols in tackles with uh 76 and tackles for losses with 10 so this is kind of something different that we're seeing for Alabama. Like, we are deep at the linebacker position, you know. First time um, in a couple of years, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, with Dylan Moses leaving, uh, he's going to have to dish it out with Christian Harris and Jalen Moody, uh, along with Shane Lee and Deontay Lawson for playing time. You know, like, those guys are – they're not going to come over. They're not going to fall down with some big guy from Tennessee coming in. So, I'm really, really excited to see how he'll be at Alabama. It's definitely going to give uh, our defense a lot of options. Um, you know, let let Saban play around, and we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. It'll be interesting to see how the fans receive him in Knoxville. Uh, 
as he has quite literally betrayed them. It's, I mean, stabbed in the back, but I want to talk more. I mean, obviously this is a big impact. Like you said, all of those things are accurate. I want to talk more a little bit now about the transfer rule in general and how Toto's situation kind of relates to the whole deal and what we think about it. I think I just want to go out and say it. I think that this one-time transfer rule is terrible and Here's why. I I completely understand the arguments for it. The NCAA was terrible at giving immediate eligibility to players who arguably deserved it. They would not even question giving immediate eligibility to guys like Tate Martell and Justin Fields who were massively high-profile prospects out of high school because the school that they committed to didn't work out for them, and they could transfer and had no issues. Martell was immediately eligible at Miami. Fields was immediately eligible at the University of Georgia. But then you have guys who, I, I, I don't even know their names, but I do remember their situations. So if, if I don't know their names, I imagine a lot of other people don't know their names either. But there was an example of one guy, I believe, trying to transfer, I think it may have been from Coastal Carolina to Virginia Tech or something like that, because he had a family member who lived back home in Virginia. And it was a grandmother, I believe, and she was battling cancer and could not was not strong enough to make trips down to the school that he was at at the time to see him play. And there was kind of an understanding that she didn't have a whole lot of time left and he wanted her to be able to make the, make the trip closer to home so that she could see him play before she left this world. And he was denied immediate eligibility. And there are many other examples. I think that's just, I think the solution instead of this whole one-time transfer rule was quite frankly, to be better at giving immediate eligibility to players who deserved it. Because, and I'm going to kind of shift away from football here just for a second. I think this is the rule now across all sports. It's not just football. It's also in basketball. I think you're going to start seeing in basketball that these mid-major programs are doomed. Any player on, let's just say, Marshall or Eastern Kentucky or East Carolina, any player on that team that has a great year is gone after that year. They're going to a bigger school because somebody is going to come whisper in their ear. You know they're already doing it. They're absolutely whispering in these guys' ears and kind of tampering a little bit. And I'm not saying any specific school. I'm saying they're all doing that, just like they all pay players. And they're going to leave, and they're going to just abandon this mid-major school who doesn't have anybody to replace them and will fade into anonymity immediately after, even faster than they already do. And in football, I think the problem you're going to have here is... The rich are just going to keep getting richer. You're already seeing that right now with that's, that's two commits to Alabama instead of, I don't know, any other school that they could actually play at immediately. And I believe it is expected or at least kind of speculated that Toto will compete for a starting job. But is that Jamison Williams kid going to start? Because Alabama has July Billingsley. They have John Mechie. Who's the next guy behind those two? I mean, I guess he could have a rotation spot, but I just, I, I, I don't really... And, I think a lot a lot of people thought, oh, well, yeah, the one-time transfer rule will mean that uh, kids will go away from these big schools that they get lured to and they never play, and that's not happening. Kids are leaving every other school, but nobody's transferring out of Alabama. Nobody's transferring out of Clemson, practically. I think there's one guy who went to Florida, and he was the third or fourth string running back, if I'm not mistaken, so that makes sense. But And now they're immediately eligible. They don't have to sit out at all. I think you should have to sit out in most cases. I just don't I just don't think that I think that in five years or maybe ten years we will look back at this rule and the landscape of college football will have changed in a way that is not beneficial to the rest of the sport. And I'll talk a little bit more about this later and why I feel that way and I'll 
turn it over to you here, but I mean, what do you, what do you think? Well, honestly, Jackson, you brought up a lot of good points that I didn't even think about. Um, you know, I just, I straight up assumed this, this waiver, um, you know, was going to be for the kids who went to a big time school and couldn't mm-hmm. play. Um, that's immediately what my mind went to, but you know, I guess now that we're talking about it and, and, uh, seeing all this stuff and you really brought up a great point, you know, two major athletes are coming to Alabama and the rich are getting richer. Um, yeah. And it's like, do they really even need those guys? No, absolutely not. These are guys that they would have missed out on recruiting out of high school. And so now that they see, Oh, these guys actually are pretty good. Right. Then they can say, Hey, come transfer here. And they get these guys with no strings attached. They don't have to sit out. And I think it'll be even worse. The SEC and I believe most other conferences, if they haven't already, are expected to get rid of their intra-conference rule where if you transfer to another school in the conference where you do have to sit out. That was kind of just a separate rule that the NCAA could not have, could not change that. But public pressure, I think, is definitely pointing in that direction. I think that's even worse because you can transfer to another school in your conference. Heck, in your division, I guess Tennessee and Alabama are in opposite divisions, but they are protected rivals, so they will play every single year. It may as well be transferring into your division. I mean, you could bring anything with you, I would think, and maybe that's not a legitimate concern, like a guy bringing a playbook. Not that Nick Saban needs another team's playbook to plan for them, but I just, I, I it, it makes me uneasy, and I think I guess I can, I can talk a little bit more too, and about the transfers. We're seeing so many more transfers than we've ever seen before and I brought up this point a couple of weeks ago when I was doing an episode of this show with Ethan that scholarships now it feels like in a lot of these major sports instead of being three sometimes four year deals where you got a guy on campus for several years and you can develop them they're really just one year deals now and it seems like well if a player is in any way unhappy at all when the season is over they go talk to the coach and they reevaluate the situation and say yeah you know what I don't want to be here anymore instead of honoring the commitment that they made Or, and I guess you could say, well, the coach doesn't honor the commitment they made to that kid when they get hired to to a new school. I mean, that's that's a good point. I don't really have anything to say about that. But to use another basketball example and one that hits close to home, Auburn had three players on their basketball team this season just up and leave. Justin Powell was one that I'm honestly still scratching my head about. Everybody was really excited about him. He played, had limited playing time. Still had a great season, though. He had a great season, yeah. He and his numbers were insane. I think he was averaging almost 20 points a game, if not over 20 points a game. In his time, of course, he had a really bad concussion right at the start of conference play and did not appear again for the rest of the year. People were really kind of scratching their heads about that because, and I guess concussions are very volatile injury where you can have a lot of different uh, ramifications and symptoms and just struggles with recovering. And then, but everybody still expected him, you know, to come back this upcoming season and easily start at the shooting guard spot because he had to play out of position a lot this season because of injuries and eligibility problems. But he was expected to come in and start at that spot because he showed such promise from beyond the three-point line, which is something that Auburn has struggled with in the last two years. They haven't really had a consistently reliable three-point shooter like they had in Bryce Brown during their run to the Final Four. And that was something that, it was a need that was going to be filled, but out of nowhere, he leaves and transfers to Tennessee, actually, um, who is kind of becoming a slight rival for Auburn in basketball, although I'm not sure if you can call it a rivalry if you're constantly beating that <laughs> side. But yeah, no, I mean, still, so it's just, but it's, it's a one-year deal, I think, now, it feels like, where a player can just up and leave, and now they can do it with no strings attached at all, for sure, at least once. I just, I just don't like 
the direction that this is going in because like I said, I think the rich are just going to keep getting richer. The poor programs are not going to get any better because nobody, hardly anybody at all is leaving those rich programs and everybody's coming in. Right. Well, now, now that we've bashed the rule a little bit. I kind bit, of <laughs> monopolized this a little let's... bit. I do want to give you a few minutes yes. to... Well, we can totally think about the positives. Um, I remember a few years ago, a guy like Luke Ford transferred to Illinois because of his grandparents. Um, and again, like he wasn't given immediate eligibility, like yeah, Jackson said. I don't said. understand why, right? I, I do remember that, Luke Ford. That was a name that I, I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. But yeah, I remember he was trying to transfer to Illinois for family reasons. And they right. said no, but then Tate Martell leaves Ohio State because he's not actually very good. I believe that was the same year. Yeah, I think it was the same year. And he gets immediate eligibility, and then he never even plays at Miami. (laughs) But, oh, no, he doesn't have to sit out at all because he was the number two overall recruit in whatever year he signed. Yes, but, you know, Luke Ford, guys like Luke Ford have good intentions with this rule, and I think that's why the NCAA made this rule with good intention. And and I do believe, you know, like everybody does, they're going to take advantage of a little bit. And... It's probably going to be a problem, and the NCAA is going to have to step back and take a look at this rule again. But right now, I think it really could benefit some teams, some programs, especially those athletes who are trying to get closer to the family, or maybe they had, maybe maybe they got to the school that they had committed to. A new coach comes in; they don't want to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely some benefits of the rule. But I totally see the issues that Jackson is clearly having. With Very it. passionate about it, yes. <laughs> and yeah, yes, those are great things that some guys can do but i guess and and those kinds of transfers yes are good but they aren't going to get much publicity i don't think anybody's really going to care about that but lots of people are going to care about guys like henry Toa just leaving and really upgrading to a, and of course i guess the situation is you know jeremy pruitt was fired after a cheating scandal kind of broke and there's a lot to say about that but i just i i, I think i'm gonna st- i'm gonna stick with my point there i still believe that it's going to be a net loss for the sport of college football for those reasons are rich going to keep getting richer. And I want to share these, some statistics here that I found. It's kind of part of a larger conversation. Like I was telling you before we started recording that I wanted to have, and this may be a little bit apocalyptic here, but I have written it in here as kind of the death of parody in college football. In a way, I'm going to go ahead and go back to 1998, which was the first year of the BCS, which was for all intents and purposes, the first attempt to have bowl games, bowl game matchups between number one and number two to decide a national champion. Before the 100 years before that, for some weird reason, we didn't do that, and we just let the people who wrote newspapers decide who the best team in the land was without really letting them settle it on the field. So the BCS was the first real attempt to get that the best has to beat the best to say they're the best. And in 13 years of the BCS, the first 13 years from 1998 to 2010, 11 different schools won a national championship. The only schools that won more than one in that stretch were LSU in 2003 and 2007 and Florida in 2006 and 2008. So for the most part, without those two-year exceptions, a different team was winning the national championship in college football every single year. Now let's go past 2010. We'll go the last three years here of the BCS and every year of the playoff. In the 10 years since the end of the 2010 season, only five schools have won a national championship. So in almost all of that same time frame, less than half of that same number of schools have won. Alabama has five titles, three of them being in the college football playoff. Clemson has two titles, both in the playoff. LSU has one from the playoff. Ohio State has one from the playoff. And Florida State has the last BCS championship. With the sole exception of LSU's magical season in 2019 there, I think that's 
of course, I'm not discrediting that at all. I mean, that's the stars aligned, and Clemson made the championship game that year, too. So if they had not run into the machine that was LSU that season, there's probably a decent chance that Clemson has three titles and makes this point, I feel, in my opinion, even stronger. But with the sole exception of that, the national title has been won every single year by either Clemson or Alabama for the last five seasons. So, actually, no, it's six seasons. Yeah, it is six seasons, because 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. How is this a good product? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm asking you and everybody at large, I guess. It's like, how is this good for the sport? Because now we're seeing, in the last several years, where teams, the big teams, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia to some extent, Oklahoma to another extent, are stockpiling talent like they've never done before. You know, you had a few years ago, Georgia signed what was, as far in terms of just aggregate rankings for recruits, the best recruiting class of all time. Two years later, Alabama now has the best class of all time because they did better than Georgia's class that year. They're just, it's a gravitation and it's it's a larger conversation. I don't really think we have a, a lot of time to talk about here and we're not necessarily experts either. So there's that. But I just think that, I, I think the one-time transfer rule is another cog in the wheel that is killing parity, I guess, in the sport that is killing a spread out of talent. Because like I said there, with the first 12, 13 years of the BCS, just about every single year, another a different team won the title. So it was different guys winning every year, but then the last five, six years, it's been the same two teams just about every single season in the championship game. We've had Alabama and Clemson play five times, I think, in the playoffs almost. Maybe it's four, but I, just, I, I, I don't know. And I think that we're going in that direction where you're going to have guys like Henry Toto and Jameson Williams leave other schools and go to schools like Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State instead of going to these le- lesser schools, which I think was the original intention of that rule, without without being penalized. And now they're going to these schools and not being penalized and... Making it more of a powerhouse. Making, making it more of a powerhouse. Yeah, just the rich getting richer and making and just making it more, honestly more difficult to beat them than it already is. So... I th- and I I, th- I think I would honestly say I could tell you right now I think that Alabama will win the national championship twenty twenty one maybe maybe Clemson could do that instead I don't know but I just don't I don't see another team outside of that four that little range of four Alabama Clemson Ohio State and Oklahoma that will even make the playoff this coming season I don't see who else could I think I- Iowa State is getting a lot of hype that would take a miracle because they would have to beat Oklahoma twice since they would have to play them again in the Big Twelve championship game I mean who else well. Well, like who else is relevant? Sides of teams. Yeah, it's like who el- who else is relevant in the national picture, at least for this upcoming season, that you think could actually have a shot at making the playoff? You can't name anybody, right? I mean, think about it, like who are some other teams that are, I guess, in quotes, relevant? Oregon? No, there's no chance of that. They're breaking mm-hmm. in a freshman quarterback, and they've only made the very first one anyway. They haven't. The Pac-12 has not been able really to get a team in the in the Final Four for a couple of years now. Michigan? No, absolutely not. It's a joke. Um, Texas, I could see in a few years if Sarkeesian, it turns out to be pretty good. They're having a lot of struggles right now. They're not going to do it in the first season. Well, I, I mean, I totally believe, totally believe Florida could have been a contender, but with Florida Kyle Trask be. and Kyle Pitts leaving and bringing in Emory Jones, who, I mean, we saw him play some last season. It's just, yeah, you're right, not very promising. I don't promising. think Emory Jones is bad. I've never watched him play. I mean, wow, this guy stinks, but I mean, it's not I don't promising. think he's going to be great. And on top of them having to break in a new quarterback, they're bringing in, they're having to find new weapons with Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony leaving. Mm. Well, and then Jackson, what you're talking about now brings the whole question, what about expanding the playoff? 
Right, and that there's another conversation there too. Which <laughs> we saw, I think, last week or two weeks ago. You know, news broke that they were considering doing it, and they were looking at all these different scenarios for how to expand. And I just don't. And maybe that'll be good because I think a, a big reason why you're seeing all all of the talent get stockpiled at those couple of schools is because we talk about the playoff 365 days a year, and we get articles in the middle of March. Who's going to make the college football playoff? It's like guys, basketball season, or and we never ever did that with the BCS ever. That was not there was no who's in campaign that ran all year long and. It was different teams every year. It wasn't the same two teams. It wasn't the same four teams, anything like that. And it is now, and I think high school recruits, because now at this point, you're at the point where the kids that are being recruited by schools have always, always, always known Alabama is one of the best programs in the country. Ohio State is one of the best programs in the country. They have Because at the time that Alabama started finally going swinging back and going up that was 2008 those kids these kids that are being recruited now were five and six years old probably just starting to watch football so alabama has always been great and it's just i i I think it is like i said i feel like i'm repeating myself but i just think that's something that's not good for the sport i don't think we're ever going to get a stretch again like it was and this is obviously some bias because that's what i was around watching football but like 2000 to 2010 when it was a different team every year i don't think that's ever going to happen again at least not with some kind of change. And I don't know what that change is. I don't know how you could prevent that from happening. I guess all we can really do is wait and see. But, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a problem, I think. I think it's a problem. I think we will look back in the future and see that, that sport is not what it used to be. And I don't think it ever will be again. It makes sense. That may be a little bit doomsday-esque there. <laughs> Just a little bit. A little bit, but... I'm very passionate about college football, so I guess I, I have very big opinions about it for sure. But anyway, now that we've talked about that, I do want to move on to something that will maybe include you a little bit more than I already have. So I am realizing that that I am kind of, kind of, kind of monopolizing this. But I want to talk about the biggest games of the upcoming college football season. So I talked with Abigail about this, and we decided that we were going to narrow it down to five games, and also throw in an honorable mention there, so that we could spend a minute or two talking about each one. And just kind of why we're excited about this game. Kind of a quick little preview about it and stuff like that. So I'll let you start, Abigail. We can start with the honorable mentions and then go number five, four, three, two, one. I assume you ranked them. Or if you didn't, that's fine too. We can just talk about different. If you didn't, I can start because I ranked mine. Yeah, go. You, okay. I did not rank it. No, okay. go ahead. Well, I go with my honorable mention that's outside the top, the top five games for me is Nebraska at Oklahoma. That game is being played on September 18th. And I am all, I I put this in there because I'm on the record. You can ask Ethan. You can ask anybody that I've talked for a long time about college football with. I'm on the record saying just kind of really sad that we don't have a lot of rivalries getting played anymore. Penn State Pitt is not a rivalry. Pitt West Virginia is not a rivalry that's played regularly anymore. Texas Texas A&M is probably with the biggest casualty of conference realignment and things like that. And more and more money getting poured into sport. Those two teams haven't played in 12 years now, or no, no, it's 10 years now. That was 2011 was the last A&M Texas game. Nebraska-Oklahoma is a huge, huge, huge rivalry from the days of the Big Eight. These two teams were great from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Nebraska, of course, won three national championships in the 90s. They won two in the 70s, I believe. They kind of, and if you look at the history of the Big Eight, those two teams pretty much hold 95% of the conference championships. 
over the history of that conference. So now they are playing this season for the first time since Nebraska bailed for the Big Ten in 2010. I'm really excited about it. I do expect Oklahoma to roll to victory in this one. But like I said, I'm just, it's going to be exciting to see two traditional programs with a lot of history and tradition and pageantry and, honestly, a lot of hate for the other, playing again for the first time in a long time when that used to be in just about an annual game in the Big 8 and the Big 12. So what about you? Did you put an honorable mention? Um, I, I'll just, I'll tell you my number, my number. Okay. So I have Louisiana at Texas, um, September 4th, week one. I just think that is a much watched game because, you know, for me a little bit, my boy, Steve Sarkeesian is out there. Um, you know, he's setting the tone for Texas with this game. Um, it'll be a good matchup for him. I think he has a great offensive mind, um, coming in. I think he can do some big things for Texas. Um, super excited to see that. And... Also, week one, I know Jackson has is going to talk about this, um, Georgia at Clemson. Yeah. I think, you know, he just talked about rich getting richer, but, uh, you know, Clemson's definitely one of those teams. This is a huge non-conference matchup between, again, two of the most accomplished programs in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dabo and Kirby. And they're pretty close to each other, too. I mean, Georgia is right there in Athens, pretty close. It's outside of Atlanta, and then Clemson is really just across the border in the state of South Carolina, so... Old school rivals from a long time ago. Uh, they played a home and home series recently, about five or six years ago, I think. And they're gonna—I I believe they're gonna do this again. I don't think this is a one-off matchup, but yeah, that's—I am excited about that one too, for the same reasons that you're—you're you're saying there. And another one that's big for me for that is just the quarterbacks, the quarterback battle. They're, they're going to be new quarterbacks for this one. I mean, J.T. Daniels has some experience as Georgia's quarterback, but he only played in four games. Whereas DG, DJ Oigala. Uwe I really need to learn how to say that name. I've had to say it too many times on the show, and I've butchered it just about every time. But, yeah, that's a huge one. I, I, you're right, I was going to talk about that. That was actually my number one game to watch, and oh, it's also order. boosted. Oh, it's okay. It, it's all right. Um, it's also huge that it's on opening day. Like, that game is going to have so much... Uh, it's going to have such an effect on the playoff picture, and that's, that's exactly coming on day what I one. Said. Like, Absolutely. This is what... I have been wanting from football for years now. It's been a, it's been a couple of seasons since we've had an opening day game that is this massive. Right. You know, the winner of this game will easily be the front runner of all playoffs conversations. Yeah, I think so too. You know? They will and be I think, in there. And I think, and I think even the, the loser season, can be oh, in absolutely. there if the loser runs the table. All throughout the season, they will come back and they will be referencing this game. Yeah, for but sure. I think this is easily Clemson's toughest game of the season, and they're getting it week one. Yeah, for sure. All right, so I'll go ahead and go back to the bottom of my list here. My number five game is Cincinnati at Notre Dame. That's getting played on October 2nd, and I think this is really interesting because Cincinnati's going to get another shot at a big boy. They played Georgia, and I believe it was the Peach Bowl last season, and just barely lost some pretty crucial mistakes there. caused them to end up losing the lead they had had for pretty much the entire game. And the matchup here is really interesting because we all know about Notre Dame losing Ian Book, to the NFL, he's, I believe, their winningest quarterback in program history. And since he has their quarterback coming back, Desmond Ritter, he had 31 total touchdowns in 10 games last season. I think this is a huge opportunity for Cincinnati to spring an upset on the national stage, really. And it's really big for their program. They've been a really consistent group of five program. I've seen uh, there are a lot of people out there who have kind of put Cincinnati's name in the hat for the next round of conference realignment, bringing some smaller programs into the spotlight and for good reason because they've they've had 
I think they've won nine or ten games for the last couple of seasons, each of them. Ritter's really good. And also, too, it's about a month into the season where we're kind of not in a boring stretch, but it's just kind of starting to, I guess, kind of ramp down. And it's, it's a big non-conference game that I'm really excited to see. And also, too, it's, it's, it, the other thing I was going to say, it's a month into the season. I think both teams are going to be in a comfortable position. It's different than the September 4th game between Clemson and Georgia in that both teams will have had a couple of weeks of experience and game tape and just comfort in a game situation, especially for Notre Dame having to break in a new quarterback. Well, I have um, Alabama out Florida week three. Uh, no, I'm gonna be a little bit biased here talking about talking about my boys. Oh, how but, dare you! But obviously, you know, another early game like Jackson was just talking about these teams. Um, you know, they're gonna come in, gonna be a lot of mistakes. Um, I think it'll be a really, really fun game. I talked a little bit earlier about Emory Jones coming in. Um, I think he could be a great. You know, I don't, I don't think he's gonna be a Kyle Trask, but I definitely think. Um, they'll be able to use him and also all eyes are going to be on Bryce Young. Um, then, you know, that see, It'll see if he's his first big test in conference. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's just going to be a great game, uh, because of the shootout that it was last year, you know, Alabama scored, Oh, here comes Florida, you know, not letting him get away, but definitely without guys like Mac Jones, uh, Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts and Devontae Smith, um, it's going to be two young teams out there. And I think, I think it'll be a lot, a lot of fun to watch. All right, yeah, for sure there. Uh, my number four game is Auburn at Penn State. I believe that's also week three. I have been so excited about this game since they scheduled it about eight years ago. Like I can't even express to you how much I want to go to this game. I really, really hope it happens. That's another thing. We are assuming that all of these games will get played. Absolutely. I feel like that's a reasonable assumption to make at this point. Knock on wood, of course. But, yeah, I, I am really excited for this one because, yeah, both teams are coming off of disappointing seasons for sure. I mean, you know, Auburn was six and four and fired Gus Malzahn. Penn State was four and five. They, they were below 500 for the first time in almost 20 years. But I think there are a lot of interesting storylines as a result of those disappointing campaigns because Auburn has a new coach and this is going to be that new coach, Brian Harson, his first huge test. And it's not even going to come in conference play. It is on the road at a, in a Big Ten environment with a great crowd and a program that has a lot of history and has a great coach in their own right, and James Franklin, I think he's one of the better coaches in the country. And then for Penn State, of course, you know they lost probably their best player last season, Micah Parsons, to the NFL. He was a first-round draft pick, I believe. So can they reload? I think this is. I don't think this game is going to be the kind of game that has playoff implications because I just don't think that Auburn is. Uh, e- even the biggest homer in me cannot say that Auburn is going to compete on a national level in the first season of Brian Harson's tenure here and I with the season that Penn State is coming off of I don't think I can say that they'd be a national contender either but it can be a springboard for both these teams to really build off because I believe Auburn has a tune-up game after that with Georgia State I want to say and then they play eight straight conference games to finish the season so they can use they could use a win here as a springboard to beat teams like LSU and Georgia and Alabama and Penn State could do the same thing with their Big Ten slate they Use, they get a big win here against a quality opponent and use it as a springboard to maybe challenge Ohio State. I don't know where that game is this year. I think it might be in Columbus. But, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I think it is in Columbus. So, yeah, that's my number four game. Well, just a side note, I just want to say that I really admire Auburn's schedule every single year, every time it comes out. Yeah, we play everyone that's really good. I think and, everybody takes a deep breath and thinks, oh, we're glad we're not them. Yeah, it's a, it's a very 
unique problem to have. And actually, a couple of years ago, you want to talk about how difficult the schedule is in one, and I think, believe one, you can, there's kind of a caveat for this. It was the playoff for the 2017 season, and that was Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia, and Alabama. Auburn played all four of those teams in the space of a year. Technically, Oklahoma was the 2017 Sugar Bowl, which was for the 2016 season, but they still returned Baker Mayfield and a lot of talent. They played all four of the playoff teams in a 365-day stretch. So all four of those teams were in the playoff the next season. And of course, I believe Alabama championship that season. But just, I mean, no other team can say that, that they had to play the four best teams in the entire country. It's a little ridiculous. Yeah, but... it's insane. And it's just, it, it, it puts into perspective a little bit, I think, when Auburn struggles. That's a conversation for another day, though. So my number three game is Iowa State at Oklahoma. I mentioned Iowa State earlier as kind of this fifth team who is weirdly getting a lot of publicity as a playoff contender. I struggle to see how that will happen because they'll have to play Oklahoma twice and I assume split with them. I would think they might have to beat both of them because there are a lot of landmines in the Big 12. This game is coming late in the season, November 20th. I believe that is the week before the Iron Bowl. I'm not, I'm not sure. That might that might be wrong. But it's an interesting series kind of right now. Oklahoma leads the all-time series against Iowa State. I believe I believe this record is 77-7 to wow. as far as wins. Yeah. It's actually like that for all of the teams that were in the Big 8 with Oklahoma and Nebraska. Like you look at OU, they, they have, I think, a 70-game advantage or something like that over Oklahoma State, who is, you know, that's Oklahoma State's Super Bowl, and they never, ever beat Oklahoma. But it's always... A must-watch game every single year. They hype it up, and then it's interestingly, yeah, it's that's I, I've talked <laughs> a lot about that at length too, where it's like Oklahoma State can be really good, and then they just run into Oklahoma and they look <laughs> like a high school team out there. It's it's very confusing for me personally, just because it shouldn't be possible. Iowa State is not quite like that in the sense that they have never been good ever. They actually have they have seven wins all time against OU. Two of those seven wins have come in the last five years. So definitely as good as the program has ever been. And I think they have a really good program. I mean, I really like Iowa State's coach. I can't believe nobody else has snatched him up. Uh, Matt Campbell. And it seems like he maybe he just wants to stay there. I think he may have signed an extension recently. But this is obviously going to be a big game because it's going to have huge implications for the Big 12 picture and if Iowa State is as advertised, the playoff picture and a matchup to watch here, I just wrote down why it's so big is the dynamic duos that both teams have. Iowa State has Brock Purdy and Brees Hall turning, and OU has Spencer Rattler and Marvin Mims. Those are kind of their what their offense leads, leads on to both quarterbacks, and then Brees Hall is a running back, Marvin Mims is a receiver. That's kind of who they lean on to produce. So that's why I think it's going to be so big. Um, all right, and then my number one, I know we're not in Jackson. Well, we already talked about Jackson's, but he's not down his list yet. But my number one is um, Bryce Young's debut uh, against Miami and Atlanta. You know, those are two teams with a lot of history uh, played in the Sugar Bowl for the National Championship, the Alabama one. So, su- hmm. super. First, time, first meeting in a while then. Right, yeah. Um, you know, Miami is steadily improving under Manny Diaz. Um he went from six and seven two years ago to eight and three this year, and I'm super excited to see Derek King uh, see if he can come back after a torn ACL because he was a lot of fun to watch last season. He was. That's that is an interesting matchup. I personally don't expect it to be competitive simply because that's just what Alabama does. They play these teams from the ACC to open the season, and they just destroy all of them. 
but it is interesting, and they have gotten better. I was not sold on Manny Diaz after his first season at Miami, and then they got De'Aaron King. I was like, well, it's a whole new game because I've watched De'Aaron King several times from when he played at Houston, and he's so good. But yet, he does have to come back from an ACL tear. I think that'll be a significant setback right. for him, especially since it came late in the year. It wasn't an early season injury. It was a injury in the bowl game. It was. Cheese it bowl. Yeah. Yeah, against uh, who did they play? I think they played... Uh, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Hopefully, it's at least competitive. Because, like, I know, you know, Alabama's played Louisville recently to open the season and just destroyed them. They played Duke, just destroyed them. Played Virginia Tech several years ago, just destroyed them. You, you're seeing a pattern here. <laughs> All right. So... Fair, fair. I would hope for a more competitive game there. Yes, but It could definitely... be an interesting matchup. Definitely an interesting quarterback matchup there with Bryce Young having his, probably his first start, presumably. And Derek King, who's been in college football for five yeah. years now. I mean, this is, you know, we are we are handing it over to Bryce Young, so I'm ex- excited to see how he'll play um, in a big out-of-conference game. Yeah. All right, so then my last one here then that we'll talk about, since I already talked about number, my number one, which is Clemson and Georgia. I got Oregon at Ohio State. I think this is going to be really interesting. They were supposed to play last season, which would have been a really fun one to watch. That was supposed to be in Oregon. Of course, it was canceled. Because of COVID, yeah, the amazing pandemic that ruined everything for a really long time. Yeah, and but so now they are going to play. It's supposed to be the back end of a home and home series between the two. I'm hoping they'll reschedule that game at Oregon for another year so they can fulfill that agreement. This one is going to be in Columbus. Both teams are looking for a new starting quarterback. I I know that Oregon has a true freshman quarterback that is expected to be the starter, and I think Ohio State's remaining quarterbacks right now are all freshmen as well. So, And it's on it's week two. It's on September 11th. I think it could, be really, it could be really interesting or it could be really not interesting, but I'm excited to watch it, so that's why it's my number two game. And like I said, we've already talked about Clemson and Georgia. So that is a good spot, I think, to wrap it up with talk about the transfer rule, which kind of spiraled a little bit into talking about Jackson's parody rant. in college football. Yeah, a bit of a rant. I, every couple of episodes, I have to have a rant because it's just something that really hits home with me and I got to talk about it. And I, I, I kind of lean into it a lot. So yeah, that's my rant. Hopefully it'll be a couple of weeks before I have another one so I can really just kind of relax. <laughs> and then we talked about kind of the biggest games of the upcoming season. We had a lot of games that we were really, really excited to watch this season that we wanted to talk about. If anybody listening to this has a matchup that they know is coming up that they're really excited about, Hit us up on Twitter. You can respond to any of our posts. I probably will post a question there as its own little tweet. And you can just kind of point out a, a game that you're excited to see in 2021 and why. Other than that, uh, subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it or follow the show on Twitter at Rookie Mistake PC. Uh, thank you to Abigail for joining the show. She's going to be around here for the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited about that because we both are really passionate about sports and really just doing broadcasting stuff so that'll be a lot of fun and i'm looking forward to all the episodes we're going to do together this summer and with that in mind thank you all for listening and we will see you next week